0: We're opening up God's Word together again, turning through to the little letter to Titus. For the sake of our visitors, we've been working our way through Titus and just working our way slowly through chapter 2 at present. We've been considering uh, that which accords with sound doctrine, which you see in verse 1 of chapter 2. Titus is to teach that which accords with sound doctrine. And so we've been looking at that, which is these different groups of people, Uh, So we've looked at older men. We looked at older women this morning. In a couple of weeks, we'll come back to the younger women. But tonight, we're thinking about the younger men. And in order for us to uh, just think about this, we'll read the whole chapter to put it in its context. So that was Titus chapter 2, which you'll find on page 938 of the Church Bible. As for you... And Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, And sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, just before we come to pray, I do just want to point out again, as we've made note of several times, that verse 11 to 14 is really the foundation for everything we're about to look at. The, the reason that we're getting this instruction is because the grace of God has appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we consider it, let's just pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that, that you continue to speak today through your word and through preachers that we may hear the words of the Son of Man and the Son of God, he who spoke to human ears all those many years ago, that we may hear his voice truly today. And so we ask that, that you would give us all hearts that are ready to receive his teaching. Jesus, as we've just read you came and you appeared and you redeemed us from all lawlessness in order to purify ourselves as your people. that we might be zealous for good works. And so as we think of another category of godliness this evening, we ask that you would help us to be challenged where we need to be challenged, to be exhorted where we need to be rebuked where we need. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us from being uh, laid down and under burdens of guilt. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And so we pray that you would help us to pursue righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. It's one of those sayings that gets thrown out all the time, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun. But that doesn't mean that old things can't come in different ways or old things can't come in new ways or with particular forcefulness that they seem like they're new. And in one sense at least for those of us in the West, it feels a little bit like that. When you look around yourselves in this world and consider all of the opportunities for sin, you'll often hear people say things like, it's a lot harder for young people these days than it was when I was young. And whether that's true or not, there is an element of truth to it, isn't there? There seems to be a plethora of opportunities that young people can just sort of jump right into, right? And they have access to that on their fingertips, and they can find things anywhere and everywhere. Young men, particularly, we're talking about tonight, face perennial temptations. Now, if you're wondering what a young man is, as I said this morning, a young person and the biblical word here is probably someone between 13-ish and 40-ish, maybe 45-ish. So you can decide if you fit in that category. They face particular and perennial ongoing temptations, don't they? It's nothing, that's nothing new. All young men face temptations. But there seems to be a particular emphasis and drive, at least in our culture at this particular time, that comes with such force and emphasis that it feels new, feels like unprecedented, right? Now, if you're sitting here this evening and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a young man, does that mean I can go home now? Um, Well, I can't stop you, but no, that wouldn't be a smart idea. This teaching is given to all of us. It's particularly given to Titus, that it's given to all of us by God for our building up, right? And so though this is an instruction, particularly for young men that we're thinking about tonight, it is applicable to every single one of us because you will notice if you look down chapter two at the categories of people, the word self-control popping up a whole lot. The old men are to be self-controlled. The young women are to be self-controlled. The young men are to be self-controlled. Everyone needs to be self-controlled, right? There's no one in this room that can say, well, actually, I've got no problems. No self-control needed. Because then you would be perfect, correct? But you're not. And so this is, though directed primarily towards young men, is applicable to all of you. And there's a few reasons outside of just the fact that we all need self-control. If you're a mother here tonight you need to know what your young sons are dealing with and what's going on and why they need to be exhorted in this way. If, if you're a father, you need to be able to encourage your son in the way he should go. If you're a young person, like a young, young person, you can prepare yourself for what's coming. And if you're a obviously a young man, this is coming straight to you. And if you're a young woman, then you have other young men around you that need encouragement. And so we're thinking about young men. There's a difference here. It's quite interesting. The the last three groupings have been very similar. So the older men, Paul just says, the older men are to be like this. The older women, Paul says, likewise, the older women are to be like this. And for the young women, the older women are to work so that they're like this. But notice the difference in wording in verse 6. Likewise, urge. Urge. The younger men to be self-controlled. And, and notice how many things he gives Titus to urge upon the young men. It's interesting, isn't it? The old men get like six things. The older women get a big list of things. The young women get a big list of things. And the young men just get one. I mean, that's not fair, is it? Is it because the young men don't have issues in any of the other areas? No. Paul's picking effectively one of the core heart issues that Titus must chase after, must urge, because if he fails here, he's going to fail everywhere. Titus's central job is to train and teach young men to show prudent self-control. That's the kind of the word here, prudent self-control. It's a wisdom word. So what I want us to do is is just unpack self-control. And so we're going to look at three different things. The first thing we're going to look at is the necessity of self-control, the necessity of self-control. After that, we're going to think about the pathway to self-control. And then lastly, we're going to look at the blessing of self-control. So firstly, the necessity for self-control. Why is it needed? Why is this thing urged? Why is it that self-control is the primary thing that Titus is to urge upon the young people? The, the reason self-control is urged is because of the particular threats that perennially, consistently, all the time, face young men. Things that often lead them astray lead them into sin, and lead them into all sorts of problems. And I could probably just stand down at this point and say, would every one of our older men who have stuffed up, please come to the front and share, and we'd have a decent list of issues, right? And that would be a fine testimony to the fact that we need self-control. But let's consider together some of the reasons. I want to suggest to you, three three particular reasons why self-control is essential. Firstly, one of the threats comes from just the reality of the way men are made. God has created men with passion, zeal, fervor, a desire to pursue things, a desire to hunt, a desire to provide, a desire to protect, a desire to get out there and do stuff, right? Right? that's wired in our very frame, and that's a gloriously good gift from God. And it was intended to be used for gloriously good things. But there's a problem, right? So our first threat is just in the way we've made. Young men are naturally drawn with fire towards things, but the second threat flows naturally out of that, and that is that, Good things are corrupted, right? You see, we have this natural drive, but we have corrupted desires, corrupted passions, corrupted feelings. And so one commentator would say, young men are susceptible to particular blandishments and allurements that detract from Godward aims Even lawful pursuits and callings may become objects of idolatrous idolatrous devotion. Men, young men especially, who haven't had their energy and zeal tempered, are very quick to get drawn into being devoted towards anything that is a lust of the flesh or the heart or the mind. John Chrysostom puts it this way, for neither the love of wealth nor the desire of glory or any other thing solicits the young as fleshly lusts. We've got to appreciate, and you young men have to recognize that this is the sinful inclination of your heart. Do you remember those words that God says at the time of Noah, that, that God looked down upon the sons of man and he recognized that the inclination of their heart was always evil all the time. And so this legitimate passion and pursuit gets twisted and used for illegitimate ends but the threats don't just come from within, do they? And the third thing is we have threats from without. And I'd like to talk briefly this evening about one particular type of threat because I think it's the one we will all acknowledge is the most devastating and the most easily obtained and the one most likely for young men to fall into, and that's sexual sin, right? Of any form whatsoever. Let's consider the nature of the threat that highlights that we need self-control young men. Just consider the nature of some of the scandalous clothing in society. We're heading into summer again. I don't know about you. I love summer weather. I hate a lot of summer outfits. And so we ran into this just again. My wife and I were On Monday, walking into the supermarket and out walks a person who had less clothes on than skin. And boom, there's temptation directly in front of you. Self-control needed. Or consider just billboards, right? Like the way they advertise stuff, ads on TV, All of it is driven in a particular direction. One of the things that blows my mind is that when you travel into Auckland, you find adult shops everywhere with massive billboards advertising it. Like when I was a kid, I never saw one of those things. They were, you know, ducked away, dark alleyways somewhere where no one would see. They're just like blazoned in the midday light now. And they've got big glass windows so you can see all the products they sell. It's temptation. It's a threat. Movies. Recently, well, actually, it's not that recent anymore. When we went to Asia, Josella and I, we were on the way. I think that way, and I was sitting in my seat. And you know, everyone does their regular thing and they start watching their movies on the little screens. And there was someone. I was. I think we were in the middle, and there was someone over here on my right, and about four chairs forward, so I could like see their movie screen perfectly. And they were watching a movie with scenes that would have come straight out of an adult-only R18 movie. Like, it was horrendous. And it was just there on the airplane. And it's just like kids and families and people, and it's not like right there. And I'm like, please, I've just got to stare this way for the entire, mo- the entire movie. Like, just right there in front of me, this threat. I, I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. But it just leaps out, right? A threat. But consider adult adult content. I'm going to do my best today to use language that won't be problematic for the parents in the room with little children, but consider adult content. In preparation for this, I thought I'd do some Googling, look up some statistics about this stuff. Uh, The three biggest websites combined have on average 5.8 billion views visits a month, 5.8 billion a month, that is 134,491 a minute visits to only the top three sites, that doesn't include all the rest. In 2018, 109 billion videos were watched that equates to 14 per person on the face of the planet in 2018. It's a problem, right? Now, I looked up a peer-reviewed journal. If you don't know what peer-reviewed means, it means it's legit. Well, it's the real deal. I looked up a peer-reviewed journal which did research into how many young men, that's people under the age of 40 have consumed this stuff in their life. I would be willing to bet that most of you could not guess the percentage. Between 90 and 99% of every young man under the age of 40 has viewed this at some point in their life. Threats, right? Threats to our godliness. Threats that need to be controlled. I can remember, like, it's just ridiculous. I can remember going on a school trip. The devil is crafty, brothers and sisters. I was 12. I went on a school trip with a bunch of school kids and and the bus pulled over in a park and we hopped off the bus for a stretch of the legs before continuing on, and we went up to a rubbish bin, and there was a stash of magazines that someone had just chucked in there. And you can imagine what a bunch of 12-year-old boys do. They shove them in their bag. They're threats to our godliness. And, and, And just like all the rest, like prostitutes, massage parlors, Gisela and I, another story about Gisela and I, we were traveling through Pukekohe, we'd had dinner and we were walking back to our car and we walk down the road and we walk past the set of stairs and there's just a woman of the night just sitting right there and she just looks at me and winks. I'm standing with my wife and I'm like, someone hide me. I just want to jump in a hole somewhere. You know, massage parlors Everywhere opportunities, threats abound. Doesn't the Bible show us over and over and over again how deadly this is? Think of Samson. Set aside for the Lord and infatuated with women. Think of David, the man after God's own heart, and Bathsheba. Think of Amnon and his sister. Think of contemporary examples. Augustine is one of the most amazing examples of this. I mean, just brilliant godly man. And as a young man, he said, there was one thing that stopped me becoming a Christian. One thing. I did not want to give up my adulterous heart. He said, I would lay everything else down to have the Lord, but this one thing I would not let go. And he hold, held on to it for years because it was so intoxicating and so gripping. Brothers and sisters, you must appreciate that this is what our young men are facing daily. It takes about 15 seconds to pick up a phone and find it. It takes 10 minutes of driving, I'm guessing, to find someone to do something with. It is so easy, it is everywhere. We must recognize the need for self-control. The reason we need self-control is because we're surrounded by devilish threats to our salvation and to our godliness. But that's all really easy to say, right? It's really easy to sit here and go, well, we've got lots of problems and you need self-control. How do you do it? How do you have self-control? How do you protect yourself against all this stuff? How do you fight back against the devil? I'm reminded of um, when I was getting a lot more serious at cricket, and, and there was one particular issue that I just had for ages, which was an inability to play a forward a defensive stroke where I would strip, stretch deep into the pitch and block a ball. I just could not do it because I was afraid. And so I'd always go backwards, and I'd get bowled out all the time. And, and the coach would tell me, and my teammates would tell me, and my dad would tell me. And I just couldn't bring myself to it. And they'd all tell me, you need to do it, but I just couldn't do it. And so one day, I paid for the guy who coached the Waikato division team to give me an hour's coaching. And he sent me down, and he got this big old bowling machine, and he started throwing balls at me at some ridiculous speed. And then he sat me down and he said, Okay, Logan, this is what you're gonna do. Step A, step B, step C, step D, this is what you're gonna do. And then he'd throw a ball at me and would say, Wrong, that's not how you do it. Do it again, do it again, do it again. In the space of 20 minutes, he fixed something that I could never fix. I, I didn't just need someone to tell me my problems, right? I needed someone to say, here are some ways to address the issue. And that's really important for us because I have no doubt statistically in my mind, that we are filled with a room of men, old and young, who struggle persistently and constantly with these things. I mean, just statistically, right? 90%. If we just take, if we take the really low ball, which another study suggested of 75%, that means three quarters of the men in this room have done it. Statistically speaking, right? So how do we go about gaining self-control? Well, the first thing we need to do is learn to heed the exhortation. So Titus, this is why Paul says to Titus, urge the younger men, encourage strongly. exhort them. He's using very, very strong vocabulary here. He's not saying, you know, come alongside them and and give them a gentle pat on the back and say, you should probably not think about doing this. Exhort them, urge them, do not let them go. Force this upon them. Be self-controlled. And so the first most important thing is to recognize the solution is to hear and heed the exhortation of the scriptures. That ultimately is the solution. The word of God is your solution. So what does the word of God say to this problem? Because Paul doesn't expand here, does he? But the context of the Bible does. And so Paul will say to Timothy, flee, Flee sinful passions. Remember Joseph in Potiphar's house? And Potiphar's wife offers herself to him over and over and over again. What does he do? He runs for his life. Brothers, run. Don't hesitate. Don't do the backwards glance and turn into a pillar of salt, right? Eyes forward and run for your life. Flee. Two, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1. You have been given a body for the glory and praise of God. Use it that way. Use it that way. That God might be honored in your flesh. Not just in the words of your mouth, but in your whole body, mind, and soul. Guard your way with the word. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How will a young man be pure? He will guard his way with the word of God. If you are not using the word as your shield, you will fall down. You will fail. You will fall into sin you will not be self-controlled because this is your guard. This is your shield. It's what God has given for you for your combat and your war. Four, seek the God of your fathers. Remember um, Josiah in Chronicles? Josiah comes after a long list of of pretty corrupt and bad kings. And, And he's eight, I think, when he becomes a king, off the top of my head, I think he's eight when he becomes king. And at 12 years old, we're told he sought the God of David, where he sought the God of his father, David. Now, whether you have an earthly father or not, you have fathers who points you to God, right? David wasn't Josiah's immediate dad either. No, the point was he sought the God of his people. Seek God. Remember Jesus's words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. Six, exhort one another. Hebrews 3 verse 13, exhort one another as the evil day approaches. Young men, old men, old women, young women, exhort one another to self-control. Hold one another accountable. We desperately need someone to come alongside us and say, what are you doing? Don't be an idiot. Why would you do that? Why would you watch that? Why would you read that? Why would you look at that? Don't you understand what you're doing? Heed the warning of the scriptures, brother. Parents, do it for your children. Exhort one another to faithfulness. Another one, be men of conviction. Do you remember those just the glorious first few chapters of Daniel? I mean, can you picture Daniel and the other young men and they're offered all the best of the king's table? Look, I know that doesn't seem very significant to us because we, we're Gentiles. We get to eat everything, right? We're like, yeah, bacon anytime I want, sweet. They they never ate bacon. They never ate pork. They never ate unclean things, right? And now they're at the Lord's table and, and they're added, the Lord being lowercase L, they're at the king's table and they're offered all of the delicacies of Babylon. And what do they say? We will not eat that. Why? Because, I mean, they're self-controlled, right? They're like, we're not eating that. That would make us unclean. We love the Lord our God more than we love adulterating ourselves with your table. We will have nothing to do with this. And when they have the choice between the statue or the fire, they take the fire, right? And when they have the choice between the the lion's den or prayer, they choose the prayer and go to the lion's den, right? Over and over. Men of conviction, you need to be a man of conviction. And that goes for all of us, whether it's these particular sins that are for young men or, or whether it's something else, whatever it is, whatever's coming our way, we must have convictions of steel so that we stand upon the word of God and we say, here I stand i can do no other so help me god like martin luther we must live in accordance with the spirit in ephesians 4 verse 30 you remember it says uh, do not grieve the holy spirit and then straight after that you get to chapter 5 and it says Sexual immorality shouldn't even be mentioned among you. Why? Because it would grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And th- think about think about the passage in Corinthians where Paul says, don't you understand that when you go into the brothel, you take Jesus with you? You're united to Christ. I mean, It's ludicrous to think of, but my dear young men, just think for a second. If you do that, when you do that, Jesus Christ is being dragged into that with you because you are united to him. Don't grieve the Spirit. Live with the Spirit who delights, who delights faithfulness and to bring about righteousness in your life. The last thing that the scripture would say to you is to compare the filth of this world to the riches of Christ. You remember that that rich young ruler who comes to Jesus that day, and he says to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want eternal life. I mean, don't you want eternal life? I want eternal life. And Jesus goes, Not a problem. Go keep the law. And he says, well, that's not a problem. I've done all of it. I'm pretty good. I've done all of it. Not a problem whatsoever. What does Jesus say? Great. Now give up everything and follow me. What does the young man do? The young man went away sad. For he was very rich. What went wrong? The young man loved the riches of this world more than the infinite riches of Christ. And brothers and sisters, don't we do that? We're offered the infinite riches of Christ and we trade it for 30 seconds on the internet or whatever your particular temptation and sin is. As as C.S. Lewis would say, we're like children playing in mud pies. I know I've used this before. I am just going to keep using it again, because it's so good. We're like children playing in mud pies who don't want to go on a seaside holiday. You know, and the parents come along and say, Johnny, let's go to the beach. And they say, oh, Mom, I'm playing in mud. What? what? I don't even know what a beach holiday is. Look, this mud is awesome. They say, "But we like that, right? Christ, Christ comes to us and offers himself and says, here I am in my fullest. Have me. I am yours. Enjoy me. And we say, I'll be with you in one second. I've just got some filth over here I need to finish with first. See the glorious riches of Christ and and, and see the horrendous comparison of what this world offers you. We're told not to make any provision for the flesh. That's the job. Give no room to the flesh. The the young man especially, his flesh craves after these things. And you just got to make no room for it. So there's really practical things you can do, right? I couldn't remember sitting down with a guy at a camp, he would have been 22, struggling, like struggling with sin. Particularly the sin that was on his laptop. And he said to me, "I just I want to I want to get rid of it, but I just don't know how. I just can't do it." I said to him, "Have you thought about throwing your laptop in the bin?" And he said to me, "Oh, but I I kind of need it. I'm like, how badly? Honestly, ju- I said, just throw it out. Like, honestly, give it away. Lock it up in a cupboard somewhere for the next year. What's more important, your soul or the laptop? Never saw him again. No idea if he took my advice or not. But, you know, there are things you can do. Disconnect your internet. Have someone hold you accountable. Have an open an open, isn't it? History. Don't travel into town by yourself at night. You know, there's a million things you could do, right? Put things in place to guard yourself. Make no room for the flesh. Part of the problem with this is often we can uh, we can see the need. I need self control because of these threats, and and we can even see the steps. But the problem is. Deep down in our heart, we don't want to, right? Don't you feel that pressure in your heart? I feel that pressure in my heart. I'm like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I really want to. And and you have a wrestling match, and this is especially true for young men. It's true for Everyone. But that, that fervor and passion that is, that is just sort of built into the heart of men drives that tension even more. And, and they sit there and they're like, I, I'm, I'm almost willing to, but I just don't really see why it's worth it. Like, I mean, Jesus saves us for our sins anyway, right? So it's not that much of a big issue. You need to, you need to see the blessings of self-control. Let me show you the blessings of self-control. Let's just point to a few things. First Peter 4, 7 says, be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. You realize what that means, right? What's the opposite of be self-controlled for your prayers? The opposite of that is if you're not self-controlled, your prayers will be damaged, not heard, not answered. So for the sake of your prayers, be self-controlled. That's a great blessing. You can tell yourself when you're tempted to sin, well, I kind of want my prayers to be answered. So I'm going to be self-controlled. There's one blessing. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 16 verse 32 says, He who controls his spirit gets a reward that's greater than a city. Do you like the idea of having your own city? I mean, I do. It's probably a lot of work, so I probably don't want one. But, you know, I mean, it's a pretty great reward, right? Something greater than a city is your reward for conquering your spirit's desire to run to sin. Let me give you a third one. Your sins catch up with you. Psalm 25, 7, the psalmist David says, Forgive the iniquity of my youth. Why? Why does he pray that? Because as an older man, he can still look back on it and feel the effect. I mean, you don't think David ever went through a day in his life after the Bathsheba incident without some form of a limp because of it, right? Do you think Peter ever woke up in the morning and heard the rooster crow and didn't remember what he did? And some of you older men feel this, don't you? Some of you older men remember the sins of your youth. I remember the sins of my youth, and they have caught up with me, and I still live in the shadow. Let me give you one very personal example. When I smell someone smoking marijuana, which I can smell from a metric mile away, everything inside of my flesh goes, ooh, I want some. I perpetually live in the shadow of my youthful sins. Not the guilt, not the power, but the shadow. An ill spent youth will have long lasting impacts on your life. That's number three. Let me give you a number four that flows straight out of that. Be self controlled for the sake of your marriage. Some of you, while most, although we're under 40, so some of you are and some of you aren't married. If you live faithfully in your youth, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will have a more blessed experience in your marriage than if you are unfaithful. Even if it's just looking at stuff, I guarantee you, as someone who has fallen horrendously. Sin will impact your marriage, your future marriage, or your present marriage, even if no one finds out about it. It will impact the way you view your wife. It will impact the way you love your wife. It will impact the way you think. You will be stuck, particularly as a man who has image-focused brains, you will be stuck with the imagery in your brain pretty much indefinitely. Still, decades later, imagery comes to my brain from former sin, and I hate it. There is always a consequence of sin. So do it for the sake of your future bride and your future children, right? It's not the best way to say to your children, learn from my mistakes. Far better to say, learn from my faithfulness. Let me give you another one. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 8: The pure of heart shall what? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? I know you can't see God, right? But do you want to have such a relationship with God that you see him, that you live in communion with him with such palpable nature that it's as though you're looking at him in the face? Be pure of heart. You can't be pure of heart and commit your youth to sin. Have the blessing of seeing God. I mean, it's simple maths, right? Jesus says, do you want to see God? Have a pure heart. Now, we know we can't cleanse our heart, right? But we can sure corrupt our heart more. We can sure give ourselves to sin more. Number six, sin leads to death. Polycarp says, it is well that they should be cut off from the lusts that are in the world. In other words, you should get rid of them. Since every lust wars against the Spirit, And, quoting scripture, neither fornicators nor the effeminate shall inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, sexual sinners go to hell. That's the Bible message, right? Now, you don't save yourself by being a non-adulterer, but adultery sends people to hell, doesn't it? Sin kills. The outcome of sin is death. Now, if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, but I've done it all. The grace of God has appeared. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You have been set free. Whatever it is that's in your mind and heart right now, that's in my mind and heart right now, does not have to damn you forever. Because the grace of God is greater than all my sin, right? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Let me give you two more very quick blessings. Number one, God's will is for your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And do you know what that that sanctification is? He then goes on to talk about sexual sanctification. He says, God's will is for your sanctification. This is his will for you. So when you you do not commit yourself, and when you are self-controlled, you are walking in the will of God. People go, I wish I could walk in the will of God. Here's a way you can do it. Don't sin. Easy, right? Walk in holiness. Be self-controlled. Another one, last one, the glory you have been created to do what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or to steal John Piper's great line, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And then he goes on to say, and this drastically changed my whole life, but especially my battle with sin, God's people is most, sorry, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Did you catch that? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. What's the problem with sin? What's the problem with a lack of self-control? We're selling ourselves to cheap joys, right? We're turning to the filth of the world and saying, you will be my delight. And so God is not glorified and we are not satisfied. But if we will forsake the things of this this world, and if we will hear him, Isaiah 55 saying, come, come to me all who thirst. All of you, come, come to me, buy milk, buy bread, buy joy, buy satisfaction with no money. Just come to me. Come, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. I will give you joy. I will fill your soul. Remember the words of David? Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation. He doesn't say, return to me my salvation, does he? Because he hasn't lost his salvation. He's just a moron who sold himself to sin. But he's lost all joy, right? And so he says, God, give me joy back. Where will you find it? In Christ alone. He's the only joy we've got. can I tell you, he's far more enjoyable than everything this world can offer you. And when you have eyes to see that, it actually becomes easy to say no. Because the devil comes to us and says, hey, look, I've got some lovely filth over here. And we go, what's the matter with you? I've got the full riches of Christ. Why would I ever exchange that for your filth? Brothers and sisters, all of us, all of you, put on self-control. Young men, hearken to me. Control yourself. For the sake of all of the privileges, all of the blessings, do it God's way, not your way. Pursue righteousness, put sin to death. Because, as David Hahn says, what distinguishes the culture of the church from the romantic society around it is the spirit's virtue of self-control, as opposed to the desire for self-expression. Isn't that true? We're not marked by self-expression, what this world is. It's everywhere. If I want to be a girl, I can be a girl. If I want to sleep, I can sleep. We are not marked by self-expression, but by self-control. And can I just say one more thing, and just as a personal note, if there is anyone in this room who who has struggled with this, is struggling with this, continues to struggle with this, young or old alike, please speak to me. Get help. Find a brother, find a sister to walk alongside you. We need one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have set us free from death, from sin, from the flesh, from the devil, and we pray, pray that you would help us to walk in the freedom that you've purchased for us. Father, your grace has appeared in Jesus Christ so that we can say no to ungodliness. Help us to say no. Lord, I want to pray for anyone in particular here that uh, maybe very recently has, has fallen, maybe sits here with a very heavy, burdened heart. I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse their heart and their conscience, lift the burden, set them free from the tyranny of the devil. Help them to walk in holiness. Though they may have a limp, help them like Jacob to walk in with a limp to the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help each and every one of us, especially our young men, to walk in faithfulness before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.